worshiping you. And we do crown you Lord of all this morning. We're so grateful that um, you are our king. And God, as we look into your word this morning, may it teach us and lead us and guide us. May your Holy Spirit show us what you have for each and every one of us this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Kathy and my, my wife, I was going, where'd my wife go? She like, disappeared. I guess she's in the nursery. Um, but she doesn't know I'm going to talk about her. My wife and I, we've been married for 32 years. And, and well, thank you. Thank you. Um, and the reality is that there is no doubt that I am a better husband now than I was in the earlier days. I mean, that's a whole other sermon I could give you about <laughs> me in, the, in our earlier days. Um, but really, this is primarily because the more I have come to truly know and understand Kathy, really the deeper that I have fallen in love with her. And really, what that love for my wife has done is it, has mo- it motivates me to really be the best husband uh, that I can be. Really, the best husband I can be in terms of uh, a friend, uh, a provider provider, a confidant, an encourager, um, a lover, a spiritual leader, and really all the other way around healthy person. I even encourages me to be healthy physically because of my love for my wife as I begin to understand her more and more. And, and really just as my, as my deeper understanding of my wife motivates me to be the best person I can be for her. You know what I've really found in my Christian walk? A lot of the same thing. I have found that same is true for what motivates me to love and to serve God. It's that knowing. What, makes, what, what helps me out is knowing God more. You see, it just makes sense that the more that we come to better understand who God is, his, his character and his attributes, the more that we are going to be motivated to love and serve him. Have you found that true in your life? I sure, I sure have. And it's fun to watch people that come to Christ for the first time and they go, wow, this is so awesome. This is so wonderful. And I want to always tell them, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Wait till you get to know this God. Wait till you get to understand his attributes and what he is like. Boy, it's going to boggle your mind. So this morning, what we're going to be, we're going to be looking at a very interesting parable that Jesus taught that speaks directly to what motivates us to love and specifically to serve God. Now, remember a few weeks ago, I had said that a parable is essentially this, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And oftentimes Jesus used these frequently to help, uh, help his listeners to better understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember, so often he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, or it can be compared to. And he's helping them to try to understand, specifically to help us understand what it means. What he did for us, it's what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. To really, for us, it's to understand, like we've been talking about, to what it means to live with the rule and the reign of God in our hearts and lives as we submit to his authority. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. That's what being a participant 
or a citizen of the kingdom of heaven means. And one of the main things that we have seen and we're going to continue to see in Jesus' parable about the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom does not operate by conventional means. I hope you've already seen that by now, but it's going to get even, he's going to be pushing that envelope even more. This means that how we often see greatness or success or security is very different than how they are seen in the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? The way we look at things in life, the way we think, yes, that's great, that's awesome, that's wonderful, or that's important, oftentimes it's very, very, there's, the kingdom of heaven sees it very differently than we do. And that's what he's been trying to do here. So the parable we're going to look, be looking at this morning is actually a comment on what we looked at of the discussion that we had on rewards last week. Remember last week we talked about the rewards. Remember it was the rich young ruler. And he talked about what it means to be rewarded. And we looked at that specifically in verses 20 and 27 to 30 in chapter 19. If you ever want to go back and look at those verses, that's kind of the crux of what now Jesus is commenting about in this passage. Remember, Jesus had just finished teaching on the dangers the danger that faces people who trust in wealth or trust in possessions to provide what they need for security, yet that they also want to be a part of the kingdom of God. So he says, listen, this could be a trap. You want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? You want to live as a follower of of me? But you also want to find your security in stuff and in wealth? (laughs) Jesus basically taught us last week, it's impossible it cannot be done. You can't have both. The, really, the reality is that finding what we need in, in our, for our security and wealth and possessions and living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven are really direct opposites of each other. They can't be done. It is not possible. So that's what we saw last week. Yet we also saw that Jesus went on to assure, remember he assured his disciples that those who have surrendered everything. Remember, because Peter said, well, wait, we've given up everything to follow you. What, what, what's in it for us? And he said, don't worry about it. Those who have surrendered everything that they found their security in in order to follow me will be rewarded. They will be greatly rewarded. Okay? That's what he's, te- that's what he's telling us last week. That, and they're going to experience this fullness of life. That's what he's talking about, reward. It's this fullness of life that we experience now and we experience in heaven. Now it's experiencing joy, mercy, forgiveness, contentment in ways that we never would unless we get rid of those things and, and say, no, I'm going to get rid of those things that give me security and I'm going to let Jesus be where I find my security. But we also get heaven. He's saying that's another thing. We live eternally face to face with God in the new heaven and the new earth. Yet he talks about that. Remember, he said these fullness of these rewards, they can't be earned. And that's where he's going with this. He's going to really go with this new parable now. He said, these rewards that I'm talking about, the things, this fullness of life, this abundant life that you have now, and the rewards that you'll also have in heaven, there will be rewards in heaven. He says, those can't be earned. We can't earn those at all. These are a result of God's divine grace. And what we're going to see this morning, we're going to dramatically see today is that the distribution or the acquiring of these rewards doesn't go, it goes against the conventional thinking. The way that we, way that we think that we should be rewarded for who we are and who we are as Christians and what we do as Christians, 
He's going to turn things around a little bit in this one, okay? Because he, what he's going to, he actually alluded to this last week, remember? He said in uh, verse 30, he said, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So Jesus is kind of introducing that whole theme right now, okay, with that whole story. And what he's going to do is continue that theme this morning, this morning's parable as he highlights really a couple of the most important aspects of God's character that provide, that provide tremendous motivation for us to serve him. That's what this is all about. So let's just jump right into this, this parable. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 20. Let's just do the first two verses first. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, or for some of you it says a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. So right away, these are the important things when you're reading the Bible. Right away, when this thing says four, okay, when we see him saying four, what that is, that's an indication that he is referring to what he just talked about. When we talked about this before, many of you have heard that whenever you see in the Bible, it says, therefore, what do you ask? What's that therefore? Therefore, because that means that something is going. So don't just read it separate. It's all, it's, even though this is a separate sermon that we're preaching, this is all in the same thought with Jesus. Okay. It's all there. So he's talking about rewards. That's, that's what he's talking about in this sermon is rewards. It's a continuation of what he was talking, talking about. So we see that Jesus, um, that Jesus is helping us to better understand what the kingdom of heaven looks like or how it works by saying that like this master of a house or a landowner who hires laborers to work in this vineyard. That's what it's like. It's like this guy. He owns a lot of land. He has a vineyard and he needs workers. Okay? He needs some day laborers. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is how it works. And this is how God works within that kingdom. Now, you got to understand, in parables, the props or the characters typically correspond to different points of reference in the story. So like in this parable, just in these couple of verses, in this parable, the master of the house or the landlorder, land, landowner represents God and how he rules his kingdom. Okay? So we got to understand what these parables are actually saying. So understand, that's who the landowner is, okay? The laborers represent the citizens of heaven, okay? The citizens of heaven, of heaven, and the vineyard represents the work that God has called those citizens, us, to do. And finally, the denarius represents kingdom rewards, okay? The rewards we talked about, the rewards we get here while we're on earth, and the rewards in heaven. Okay, so that's laying the groundwork. So we see that this master of the house, he goes out, he, um, he goes out uh, early in the morning to hire some day laborers for his vineyard. Okay, so you understand, back then, uh, day laborers actually had less security than, the, than slaves did. At least slaves were attached to a family, and it was less likely that they would face times of starvation and things like that. So being a day laborer was really, really tough back then. It is today too. Uh, there was no welfare system or unemployment programs. There was no trade unions to protect these guys whatsoever. An employer could do whatever they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted uh, with, their, with their workers. The reality was back then, no work meant no food. That's what it meant. You didn't work that day. You didn't get food. You weren't able to support your family. So these guys are in a precarious situa situation. So the landowner finds some of these labor laborers, agrees to pay them what was considered really a normal wage. This was a good wage for the day. It was good. 
And so they head out for work, okay? So let's see how the rest of the day um, develops. Look at what he says in the next uh, verses 3 to 7. And going out about, a th- about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, go into the vineyard too. So we see that seeming to have uh, plenty of work that needs to be done, this landowner goes again out into the marketplace. He goes at 9 a.m. Okay, that's when he goes the second time. That's about three, that's three hours after the work day had, gotten, had begun to hire more laborers. Um, he sees some unemployed workers standing around, and they, there's wait, they're just waiting to be hired. Nothing's happening. And so he hires them. He tells them, go into the vineyard. Go get some work done, and I'll pay you. Look what he says. He goes, I will pay you whatever is right. Okay, now he wasn't trying to cheat them. He says, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they just trusted that he would pay them what they needed, what that was fair. We're just going to trust, you know, we're going to trust that you're going to pay us what is right. Okay, so that's that's what's going on there. He does the same thing again at noon and he does the same thing again at three o'clock. Let's look at this. No negotiations, no promises. I'm going to, I'm just going to pay you. And I'm sure by then these guys were grateful to get the work, you know? I'm sure as the day is going on, they're thinking, oh, we're going to be hungry tomorrow. Nothing, nothing. And slowly but surely he's getting more and more and more. Now at 5 p.m., with one hour left in the workday, the landowner still seemingly to have uh, plenty of work to do, he heads back to the marketplace and finds these guys still standing and waiting to be hired. I'm sure these guys... I'm sure they just had given up. Like, okay, let's just hang out and just talk. We got, we're not, we're not, no one's going to hire us with an hour left in the day. <laughs> Look what happens. The landowner, he hires them. He hires, can you imagine what these guys are thinking? I mean, their day's almost over. One hour left in the traditional work day. They're probably thinking, well, wow, well, at least we'll get something. You know, one hour, money for Starbucks or, you know, McDonald's coffee. At least we'll get something out of this. Something. That's great. They must have been just so excited to get at least one hour. Because who knows what the guy was going to pay. But watch what happens. They're thinking they're going to get some minuscule amount. Look what happens in verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius of wages. That's a full day's wage. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. So really what the landowner does here, he does something really that is unconventional. Jesus' listeners would have thought, oh, that's weird that you're going to pay those guys first. Usually you pay the guys that started first. So at the end of the day, though, he instructs his foreman to pay the workers, but to start with those guys that worked at 5 o'clock, started at 5 o'clock. And then he pays the guys from 3 o'clock on, then from 12, then 9, and he finally gets to the workers that had worked the entire day. Once again, this would have been 
seen as so unconventional to those people that were listening. As Jesus was telling this parable, they would have thought that this was really unconventional. Unconventional. What, what Jesus is doing here is he's continuing that theme of the first being last. See what he's doing here? He's keeping it going now, by using a story for the people to understand. I'm sure, the all day, I'm sure these all-day workers were probably uh, watching as each group was getting the same amount, you know, one denarius each person. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking? Whoa, uh, wait, the guys that only worked one hour just got a full day's wage. Uh-oh, and the same with those that worked only three hours and six and nine, uh-oh, uh-oh, yep, what do they get? One denarius, the same thing. Really, think about it for a second. How would you feel? How would you feel that you'd been out there sweating, just sweating, and all of a sudden, all day long, and these guys that came in worked for an hour and went, oh, gosh, I didn't even break a sweat, and all of a sudden, you see, they get paid the same as you. It doesn't seem fair. It just does not seem fair. And look at their response. Look at, look at, and they let, they let the guy know. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, and on receiving it, on receiving this one denarius, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They are ticked. They are upset. <laughs> you know, they, and they let the guy know. They let him know. Now, notice they specifically, though, who did they grumble about? They grumbled and protest about those that are hired at the end of the day getting the same amount. I mean, that just stood out to them as a glaring, that was not right. What, you're going to pay those guys? We worked all day in the scorching hot sun, and they worked in the cool of the day for an hour, and they get the same? That's not fair. It's not fair. We deserve more. How can you put our, the value of our work on the same level as the value of those that only did an hour? It doesn't add up. It's not fair. You see, what these, what these guys are doing, what they're expressing is the conventional understanding of compensation, or in this context of this parable, rewards. What their, their thought is that rewards should be commensurate or comparable to the service that was rendered. That just makes sense to us, right? We worked eight hours, you get this amount of, I was agreed upon. So there, that's what they're thinking. That's how rewards work. That's how compensation work, works. And this, is, and this is a notion that we will see by the landowner's response that is in direct opposition to the way that the kingdom of heaven operates. This is what Jesus is trying to help them to see. I know that makes sense to you in your mind, in your conventional thinking, that makes sense. But remember, I'm trying to help you understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, how the kingdom of heaven works. So look at the landowner's response to help them to see this. Verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for, with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this worker, the, the, the last worker, as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be 
last. He says it again. Now, that's, obvious, that's a reversal of what he said before. Last will be first, first. But it's still the same meaning. It just has to do with how this one, this worked out, then the payment here. So, in reply to these laborers' complaint of being unfairly paid, the landowner directs his reply. He says, it looks like he talks to one of them, who's probably the representative. And he tells, this, he tells them that he indeed has kept his word. I have kept my word. Yeah, I'd paid you the ex- I, he has paid them the exact amount that he re- told them he would pay, pay them. As a matter of fact, not only has the landowner, he's saying he's been completely just and fair, but he's been very generous as well. You're not seeing this. You're not seeing this right at all. I've been phenomenally generous. And really, this is the, there's one point to this sermon today, one and one only. And here it is. This is the main lesson that I believe that this parable is trying to tell us here. From this parable is that God's gift of grace and mercy is completely just and extravagantly generous. Okay? That's the, main, that's the main point. Now, we're going to have something that we're going to use to be able to make this practical for us. But that's the main point of this, this parable is that God's gift of grace and mercy is completely just and extravagantly generous. The main point. Remember, Jesus is helping his listeners understand how vastly different the kingdom of heaven works in, in accordance, different than our conventional thinking. When we think of being treated just and fair, what do we think? If I'm going to be treated just and fair, I should get what I deserve, right? Can you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> you see where Jesus is going with this? Just and fair means I get what I deserve. Now, obviously, that is what we don't want to experience, okay? This is, this is not what we want to see happen in, in our lives with how God treats us. See, these guys are saying, I did this much work. Here's their mindset. I did this much work, much work, so I deserve this amount of compensation. Or I did, people might think this, I did this much good, I deserve this much good in return. That whole karma thing, right? I've, done, I've been good. So... If I've done so much good and I've been so giving, I've been so kind, I've been so wonderful, it just makes sense that some kind and wonderful and generous things should happen to me. This is what they are saying. I've served God this much. As far as rewards and blessing go, what I deserve is this much. Right? You see how easy it is for our minds to go there. That's our conventional thinking, that this plus this equals this. Problem with that kind of thinking is, like I said, some of you are probably thinking about this already, is that the truth is that we actually don't want what we deserve from God. We don't want it. We don't want what we truly deserve from God. If God were to be just and fair as we see justice and fairness, and, for, and he was to give us what we truly deserve, what we truly deserve as compensation for our actions, what do we deserve? Yeah, you, we know what we deserve. Judgment, hell, that's what we deserve. The wages of sin is what? Death. It's a heavy price to pay. Yet so often we think the other way, wait, wait, wait a second. The compensation for sin 
should be judgment, should be hell, because we've rebelled against a holy God. Now, in speaking about God's sovereign right to do, to show grace and mercy to whoever he chooses, the Apostle Paul said this. I love this. He says, is there injustice in God's heart? I mean, what he's saying, is, it, is God not being fair? Is not God giving certain people blessing and other people not? He said, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's the God of the universe speaking right there. All people receive from God what he deems is just and fair, and it's his sovereign right, meaning that he, that he has the power, he has the wisdom, and he has the authority to do anything that he chooses within his creation. That's God's right. And oftentimes, it's in ways that don't completely make sense to us. And this is where, the, and this is this is kind of where the generosity piece comes in here. Okay, you see, the landowner being generous is precisely is what ticked off the day laborers. <laughs> That's what got them upset, because he was generous to them. The landowner had been generous to a fault, and his generosity proves to be offensive to them. Isn't that wild? They see it as offensive. They, they don't see it at all as he being generous. Look in verse 15. He said, do you begrudge? Or in some of your versions, do you, are you envious of my generosity? What this word begrudge or envious speaks of is really, I found this interesting, is a biblical, biblical imagery of an eye that's bad or an evil eye. So get this, because the workers held to this conventional thinking concerning rewards or concerning compensation, they resented the landowner and literally gave him the evil eye. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. These guys saw his generosity. Instead of being generosity, they saw it, oh, no. So they got upset about it, and they gave him the evil eye. They don't just see him as, as, they don't see him as just and generous, but they see him actually as inconsiderate. And isn't that how a lot of people see the God, our God? They go, that doesn't make sense. If God is allowing this to happen, and you're a good person, oh, and you're even good, and you love Jesus, and God is allowing this, he's not fair. That's not fair. Totally ignoring all the generosity that's been given. But he is not fair, and we begrudge. Give him the evil eye. What? Haven't got that job I've been wanting to get? I haven't got what? I've been good. God, you're, you are not fair. And we literally give God the evil eye. Yet this is how God works. He is extravagantly generous with his grace and his mercy, even to those to whom we may deem as undeserving of it. Now, they can go down a rabbit trail on this one, but so often, I think as Christians, sometimes we look at other people's lives and we see, wow, God has been so good to them. God, what about me? What have I done to deserve this? What have they done to get that? And what do we do? We give God the evil eye. We forget all his generosity. We forget all his goodness. 
and we give him the evil eye. Because we have in our minds, this plus this should equal this. And God, he's saying, no, that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. Let me just give you an extreme example of this. This is, this is kind of pretty extreme, but it's one that I kind of saw somewhere and I wanted to talk about a little bit. Most of you probably remember the name Jeffrey Dahmer, not someone who's talked about it in sermons very often. Uh, Dahmer was a serial killer back in the late 70s and the 80s, for those of you who remember, who killed, he killed 17 young men really in the most gruesome, horrific way that's ever imaginable. Well, while in prison... Dahmer, where he was serving multiple life sentences, began to receive books and tracts and things about the gospel. And, all, and somehow, by some way, he began meeting regularly with a local pastor that was in that area. Soon, Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> surrendered his life to Christ. He was baptized. His life radically changed. He became a Yet he, he was very much a changed man. Actually, I read somewhere that he was ordering all this curriculum that he was going through because he wanted to give it out to all the different inmates uh, in prison there. Well, unfortunately, short, not too long after this whole that he did, and he was killed in prison by um, a fellow inmate. Now, the Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the most horrific people in recent heaven, go to be in the presence of God? When he died, if he truly confessed his sins and surrendered his life to Christ, he sure did. I've read and I've heard stories of people, actually one of the pastors, I heard this story, one of the pastors that met with him on a regular basis, one of his congregants came to that, to that pastor and said, if Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven, I don't want to go there. That's the opposite of kingdom thinking, of God's grace and mercy and how generous he is. It doesn't, but I understand, it doesn't make sense. I mean, think if you or your son was one of the people that Jeffrey Dahmer had done that to. That would be a very difficult thing to think, I'm going to see him in heaven? He's going to be welcomed, open arms in heaven just like me? That doesn't seem fair. And it's understandable, that's how we think. But this is why the kingdom of heaven is so different. It's so crazy and different. Anybody's, <laughs> is anybody being stretched in their conventional thinking about the kingdom of heaven yet? I hope so. I mean, this has blown my mind this week as I thought about this. I've never felt like no one deserves him. But when I think about how, wow, God's mercy and grace and how generous he is, and he doesn't weigh it out. So often I think, well, I've been this and I no, God's going, stop thinking that way, Rob. Stop thinking that way. You see, just as this landowner, and landowner has the right to do as he wished with his money, he had the right to do whatever he wanted, so too God. The sovereign king over all has the right to do what he wants with his grace and with his mercy because he alone is truly just and truly generous. You know, one of my uh, favorite authors is Brendan Manning, if you've ever heard of him. And one of my favorite books by him is called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Highly recommend it to everybody. It's a fantastic book. And he writes kind of about this whole equality and the, how kingdom of heaven is different. Listen to what he says here. We'll have, a, have the quote up there. He says, the gospel of grace nullifies our adulation of televangelists, 
charismatic superstars, and local church heroes. It obliterates the two-class citizenship theory operative in many American churches. For grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a generous, of a gracious God. While there is much we have earned, our degrees, our salary, our home and garden, a Miller Lite, uh, and a good night's sleep, all this is possible only because we have been given so much Life itself, eyes to see, hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas, and a heart to beat with love. I love this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. That is a kingdom's view of the fairness and the generosity of God's grace and mercy right there. Now, as we've seen through this parable here, that the focus has primarily been on those that are hired first and those that have been hired last. And Jesus sums this whole thing up in that last, in verse 16, Jesus says, so the last will be first and the first last. And we've all heard this saying all, most of our lives. We've heard about this. So who are the last? Who really are the last and who are the first? Well, since he starts with the last, we'll start there just real, real briefly. The last are those whose life, and we've talked about this like crazy, whose life characterizes the priority of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we talked about it. It's those with a childlike humility. Childlike humility. These are the people that will, that we, the last, the last are those whose life are characterized by humility that is simple, trusting, dependent, who lack a sense of entitlement, are not prideful. Okay? This is the mindset of those in the kingdom of heaven that are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We would think, no, that's last. No, that's wimpy. No, that's not going to get the job done. That's not going to get everybody in this town saved. Come on. What are we doing here? Let's go after it. No. The people that are going to reach the town of Pacifica, Montera, Moss Beach, Daly City, all around, everywhere, are the people that are simply humbly dependent on Jesus. Humbly, using their gifts, using their talent, using even their type A personalities, that's great. But unless it's the foundation of it is in this humble, childlike humility, it's pointless because it's not from the kingdom. That's not how the kingdom works. We just assume we got to get the right people on board. We got to get the right people hired. We got to get the right people sent out. No. We got to get the right, we got to get people being hum humble and dependent Embracing their brokenness and depending on Jesus. I'm an introvert. What can I do? I've got anxiety. What can I do? I've got all this stuff. I've got this problem. What can I do? God says, oh, man, oh, man, you want to surrender to me? I'll show you. But I'm not equipped. You're thinking about it wrong. It's not the way, that's not the way the kingdom works. That is not how it works at all. So that's, that's the last. The first, 
The first, that the world would say, the first are those who trust in their wealth, their talents, their abilities, their looks, their station in life, whatever trait that they are, they and others deem valuable. They look to depend on those things for, to provide them security instead of the Lord. That's the first people that will be last. They may be first in their own eyes. They may be first in the eyes of other people, but not necessarily in God's eyes. See how this thing flips on its head like crazy? That's what the kingdom does. This is what our whole series, the beginning slide said, our whole series was an upside-down kingdom. That's why we're calling this the upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that flips on its head conventional assumptions concerning the human understanding of what is important to God and what he rewards. He wants us to think differently. Stop being like what I am, a performance freak. Someone who relies on their self-worth and how I think God sees me and other people by my performance. That's not kingdom thinking at all. Not at all. Something I have to fight all the time. Know what you need to fight. Know how you are thinking is totally different than the kingdom of, of heaven. So how does this practically play out? Let's wrap this up. How does this practically play out in our lives today? And here's where this practical application of what I told you about says there. The truth is that, and here's the the saying I want you to take home. Knowing that God's gift of grace and mercy to us is completely just and exceedingly generous should motivate us to labor for and serve him with great joy. I wish I could have figured a way to synthesize that down into something really easy. I'm not good at that though. Knowing that God's gift of grace and mercy to us is completely just and exceedingly generous should motivate us to labor for. Remember these laborers? That was their job was to do work. And that's what Jesus is talking about in here. And this, his, the way he, that we know that he loves us and cares for his grace and mercy, this should, mo- this should be the thing that motivates us to want to do it with joy. Not, okay, I'll get out there and do it, God. You've given so much. No. Oh, my gosh. You've done this, God? I can't wait. I've got to, I've got to serve. I've got to shed this fear that I have that I can't be used in this, in this arena or that arena or I can't open my mouth or I don't know. I constantly go back. I'm listening to the Bible, uh, one-year Bible, because, uh, uh, yeah, it's just easy for me to listen these days, I've learned. So I'm listening one year, and I just got done with talking about Moses and the whole thing. And what was Moses' thing? I think I told you this week. We talked about it last week. And this is how it's, it's, it's impacted me so much, is that Moses was constantly saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. He's a hero of faith, though. A hero of our faith. A chicken. <laughs> Scared to death to do what God asked him to do. But he leaned into God for the strength to do it. That's what we are need to do. I like the story I read about Yogi Berra. Uh, most of you are not old enough. Well, a couple of you. Um, remember Yogi Berra. <laughs> the New York Yankees were at the peak at their peak. They were just doing fantastic, and uh, they were negotiating the contracts for their players for the next year, and a, a group of reporters were interviewing the players as they were coming out of the owner's office, and one of them asked Yogi Berra about the terms of his next year's contract. In characteristically plain, spoken style, he said this, I'm going to get to play baseball again next year for the Yankees, and would you believe it? 
they're going to pay me to do it. He's like, what? I just love doing this so much. And they're going to, wouldn't you know, they're going to pay me to do this. How awesome, awesome is that? No matter how or in what capacity God is calling you to labor for him or to serve for him, whether it's in some way that people will see, maybe you're up front, like a, you know, people that are doing all these videos, you know, see Kara up here, Robin, people, or myself, or you see other people teaching and different things, whether it's that way, um, you're leading or you're teaching or you're facilitating a small group, or maybe he's asking you to serve and to labor for him in complete obscurity. One-on-one, sharing your faith occasionally when, people, when God prompts you to do that, you share your faith and you live out your faith in the way you work hard at work and you bring your best self to work. Or home, maybe he's caused you to be at your home training your children or leading your family, men, leading your family in walking in the ways of the Lord. In any of these things, our motivation for serving in these ways is not based somehow um, by this compensation. It shouldn't be based on what, how we'll be compensated for our labor. What will God say? How, how will God bless me for doing this? That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. We can't earn anything from the Lord. We can't earn anything. We labor for him purely because of the completely just and extravagantly generous grace and mercy mercy that God has and continues to shower on us every single day. And that's what the enemy wants to make us forget the moment we wake up in the morning. He wants to make sure we're not remembering how incredibly generous God has been, how incredible his mercy and his grace has been so amazing. That's not where my mind goes in the morning. I don't know about you. My mind in the morning goes, oh, crud. I got got that, oh, darn. You know, instead of saying, waking up and going, whoa, I I learned a long time ago, I think I've told you this before, to try to wake up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in it. To get my mind in the space where it needs to be, where his generosity and his grace, and his, of his mercy, and his grace, and his justice to me is right in the front of my mind, because you know what that's going to make me do? That's going to motivate me to serve him in whatever area he's got me serving him in. In every coffee shop I walk into, everything I do, everywhere I go, every person I encounter, every single person, it's going to have an impact on how I relate to that person, because I'm aware of how incredible and how generous he is, and has grace and mercy, and it's just. And whatever scrap I get, whatever little piece I get, it's just because of his mercy and his grace, because he decided to give it to me. And I need to be thankful. But I don't remember that all the time. I just don't remember him. But guys, let, let that be our motivation for being the best, disciplined, most equipped using our gifts on mission laborers for Christ that we can be, because that is kingdom living. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for just your great word and how it just teaches us and convicts us and encourages us. And God, we know that we have an enemy that is just trying to strip us of the joy and the ability that we know that he knows that we have to have quite an impact on those around us. 
and to even shoo away the lies that we believe of ourselves, God, about us. So God, I pray that for each one of us, including myself this morning, God, that because of your incredible grace and mercy that is just and it's given to us generously, we will be motivated, God, to love you, to serve you, especially in those times when we're feeling like we just can't. Remind us, God, of who we are, but especially who you are. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen.